Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoctopus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Inebriart Podcast Networks, as you may remember. And as always, we are brought to you tonight by, as another thing that you might also remember, by Deadly Grounds Coffee, which, if you remember, is coffee to die for. My name is Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Van Sampson, a.k.a. Steve of Destruction, and I am here, sadly, uh, co-hostless, 8-Bit Alchemy, is uh working really he's had a really hard work week and uh he literally couldn't be here tonight he said to tell all the retroids that uh he was being a slave to the grind and so i i have and now you know that but uh lucky for me uh i do have a, a super cool dude uh locked downstairs in the brig <laughs> And tonight, I'm very excited to have this dude here. Uh, you know, we've been uh, talking about having him on for a little while. Really, really psyched. Uh, this dude, this, this guy, this man, this person, I'm going to call him a rising voice in the world of new pulp. He is my personal good friend, Mr. Paul R. McNamee. And uh, I'll let you say hi for one second, but I got more of an intro. Hey, Paul. Hello. How you doing? I'm the brig. I'm the brig. Is there an echo? Is I, there, what, what, am I going to rattle the cage? Brig, Rattle the cage. Yes. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you can rattle that thing all you want. It is not coming loose, okay? All right. We used, uh, we used the, the big glue, the big tub of, the tub of glue. It doesn't come in a, a squirty bottle. It's like a tub. Tub of Gorilla Glue? Yeah, it's a tub of Gorilla Glue. All and, right. And um, my her, it don't mm. move. Um, so for those of you who don't know... Paul is an author who has been published in magazines like Story Hack and Weird Book, as well as short story anthologies such as Wicked Weird, who with me is actually on that one, and Wicked Haunted, and most recently, The Lost Empire of Saul. Even more recently than that, however, is his first novel, Hour of the Robot, which has barely been out for one full month, and I'm super excited to talk about it. So officially, Paul, now that the intro is over, once again, how the heck are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah. I'm glad the book's out. Um, yeah, trying How are you to feel about that. That's exciting. That feels good. I I got a, I, I got a I had a box full and I ordered another box full and I'm going to be at a local comic store for a free comic book day on Saturday and I'll Heck see yeah. how I do yeah. pressing the flesh for the first time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, man. I, I mean, because guess I'm going to be masked. But it's a little disappointing. But other than that, I'm excited. Meet some people. It should be fun. Uh, because it's free comic book day and this is a novel, but it's a superhero novel. Right. And that was the hook. I, I went to my local guy and I said, look, if this was just some novel, I wouldn't even put this out there, but right. as it's superheroes, would you mind? He's like, nah, absolutely. Come on down. So 
pretty cool. So uh, if you want to plug that, um, this this uh, when is Free Comic Book Day? It's not this it's coming this, Saturday. It's, it is, yeah. They moved. So uh, you guys, so, it's two days. Passed. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's already passed. I was gonna say plug it. Oh, for forgot all it's the not live. And unfortunately, we're not live. I, I uh, guess we'll have to cut all that. <laughs> no, we can leave it. We're live to tape. We don't give a shit. Yeah. It's, all right. Just, well, anyway, it's uh, it's Counterplay Comics, and they're in Burlington, Mass. They're uh, that's where you no. were. Those are the cool people that had you a couple of days ago. Hmm? So how did it go a couple of days ago? <laughs> was it good? Uh, I have to I have to write the time travel novel, and then I'll be able to tell you. Mm. That's yeah. Fair. Um, so. Well, hopefully it went good. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that's really fun, man. Like uh, I'm I I think that's great. Like that's a that's a great like tie in way of uh, getting in there and and uh, hey, you know, uh, you're being safe. You're meeting people, and you know that's what it's all yep. about. Selling peddling your wares so we got to talk about your wares but before we get to hour of the robot mm -hmm. for the uninitiated can you please explain i i called i i coined it i don't know if it's been said many times before it might have been but i i am officially sticking sticking to my my uh what i said in the intro and that you are a rising voice in the world of new pulp can you tell the uninitiated what the heck that means what is what is new pulp well um so new pulp sort of I hate to call it a movement or anything. You can else. Um, you just call um, it. It's fine. It's uh, it's just the idea, and it's actually been around longer than I I realized until I started uh, meeting people in, in the. Well, it's not a genre. It's it's more a style because there's multiple genres. Anyway, it's sort of like you know take the old pulp magazines with the action adventure if they're western or their crime or their sword and sorcery. Um, pulp heroes like doc savage and just bring them forward to today and you know hey those stories that were of their time and of their time sometimes means trouble um be it racism or sexism or whatever and it's just sort of hey you know what let's let's get rid of the bad stuff keep the good stuff right. the action the fun the gadgets the whatever um and there's just a huge, if you start, and some people are like, well, I don't want to necessarily use the term pulp because then people think this and they're not going to, you know, it's, it's literature, it's books, it's fiction, it's fun. Yeah. And if you want to see, um, the, I think the two biggest publishers of it are um, one called Pro Se Press and the other one certainly is Airship 27. And if you look at Airship 27's catalog, they do everything from Sherlock Holmes to um you know superhero uh, space opera stuff uh sinbad uh you know they just have a huge catalog and i just kind of fell in love with the whole idea um yeah so that's what i would call new pulp and uh if you know another i think another good example of new pulp i don't know if you would agree or not is uh you know for the 80s we had indiana jones oh yeah which is yep. absolutely like you know steven throwback Spielberg. Right. Yeah, right. Saying like, okay, we want I want to make something like a, a pulpy hero like that could have existed in the 40s. And in fact, he said it in the 40s. And that's why we have the Nazis. And, yep. uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's totally, totally new pulp, uh, as is uh, something like the Rocketeer. Yep. Um, you know, so these might be things that are uh, more familiar to, to our listeners or, or maybe maybe not. But uh, everybody knows Indiana Jones. I mean, of course. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I mean it's it's fun stuff. Like you know, you said you said that you can't really call it a genre because it encompasses so many genres, and you know, meaning that you can have uh, sci-fi pulp, cowboy pulp, 
detective pulp. You said Sherlock Holmes, right? Yep. Like, you know, all sorts of stuff. Uh, me personally, the thing that I like to tell people um, if I'm trying to avoid uh, the word pulp is I, I really just like saying adventure. Yeah. Because I, I, I really think that that also covers it. Yep. That's sort of a common through line to all the pulp that I've ever loved is that it's this sense of, you know, high adventure, you know, a lot of exploration. You have a lot, especially like the, uh, a lot of the thirties, it's always a, you know, a character right. is discovering something unknown and that can be, even then you could have Lovecraft horror. Somebody is exploring this old, old uh, castle and a wall falls away and there's like an ancient civilization back there or something. And that could be something. And then you could have, you know, Robert E. Howard's Conan or, you know, and, and he's, you know, scaling a tower and, and right. discovering what's inside. And, you know, and there's always finding dead cities that aren't, that aren't dead. Once yes. The died. dead cities, always these ancient cities that we thought were just ruins and they're not, they're, uh, they're secretly harboring monsters. And uh, if you're, if you're Robert E. Howard, probably also a reptile man, Lot, yeah. lots of, lots of snake men with that guy. He guy, guy loves a snake man, but uh, you know, and then you have, of course, Edgar Rice Burroughs and, yeah. um, and I mean, it, you know, for me, for me, it goes back to um, uh, H. Ryder Haggard with the King yeah. Solomon's yeah, Mines, which is can, like 1890s. Right. You can draw the line all the way back. Even some of the early sci-fi, right? Like Jules Verne, um, right. some of it. So when, know, when, was that, leagues. when was that written? I forget. And I, I listened to the audio book. Because ha Haggard is, is 1890s. At least yeah. King Solomon's Mind was... Uh, yeah. And so uh, but you're right. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it goes back. It goes, you know, it's all there. I think, I think it really kind of had this renaissance in the thirties, uh, thirties. Yep. And, and then the forties, you had the pulp serials, which are like mini right. movies that they would play before the, the, the feature presentation you would get in all these different chapters and people going to see movies at the theater, they would get their news. They would get, you know, a piece of a serial that, you know, episode. It's like essentially like how you get your your tv shows right like yep. it's just an episode um and uh lots of lots of good stuff like that and i think that's more what like indiana jones and the rocketeer were sort of trying to capture but in yeah they're doing the cinematic flair right right but pulp is like you know pulp is fun it just yeah. kind of fell by the wayside and uh and it's it's cool that we have movements um and new pulp is definitely one of them. And, and, uh, and it's cool that you're, you know, you just, you're a rising star. I mean, that's been said, you can't unsay that. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that's been said. Um, so as far as like, we've mentioned a bunch, as far as the old pulp goes, just real quick, um, like name me a couple of your favorites. Like, who do you go? Who is like the, the people that got you into it? Oh, the old you, stuff, yeah, the like new, the old stuff. Like what? What sort of well, like classic pulp? Well, absolutely, Robert E. Howard. Just his his volume of work, not just Conan, but um, his original Conan stories, um, the Solomon Kane stories, his Puritan Wanderer, um, even in Cull, you know, kind of his his first attempt at King Conan, right? Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't, there was something about those stories of just, you know, the adventure, the, what were we all saying? The adventure, the Cyclopean ruins, the, mm -hmm. yeah, the exploration, you know, and I'd read Lovecraft, you know, 
before that, but Lovecraft is, you know, he's horror. He's not, he doesn't have that adventure streak. Um, right. So, yeah. And, he's uh, horror and it becomes more about the language with him too. Yeah. Like he's always, he's always shooting for the $60 words. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that that's typical of the, yeah. of most of the writers of that era. And I think that's why he ended up standing out so much. Yeah. And I'm starting yeah, well, to get more into Edgar Rice Burroughs, at least the original Tarzan stuff. Cause I never, I think I read Tar- Tarzan of the Apes a long time ago, and you know it was okay. Um, but yeah. kind of revisit, kind of revisiting that, I find Burroughs hit or miss. And uh, but when he when he hits, it's some really great stuff. Yeah, I remember talking to you about this years and years ago. Yeah. But uh, when I was when I was reading the uh, the Princess of Mars books, I read the first three, and um, you know that's the John Carter movie that had come out a bunch of years ago and uh, right. you know it's based on Princess of Mars and the every book's a something of Mars but um Warlords of Ma- Mars and I don't even remember them all but I read the first 3 and I will say that I loved the first one I was yeah. like all in on that first one and with the second one and it, the first one ends on a like insane cliffhanger unless it's the second one what one ends with uh, with uh, Deja Thoris being like trapped in the rotating prison? Is that the first one or the second one? I can't remember if that's the second one. The first yeah. one is just the okay. cliffhangers. He gets pulled back to Earth. Okay. Okay. Or was so it that's both? A, so this, I don't. I don't remember. It's been a while for me. I just remember thinking that that was the most insane ending. Yeah. Uh, and they they left her in this like this essentially the structure that they said basically it's like this opens every ten years or something. Right. It take it. It's like a. It's almost like a pyramid, only it's a cylinder, and it it rotates so slowly all the time, and every day a new door gets to like there's one door opening, and yeah. one room will reach that opening, and and you'll be able to go in and out of it for one day. Yeah. So if you're putting someone in, there's always essentially going to be an empty room. Because yeah. whoever would have been there is either dead or they ran out, and uh, and there's always an empty room, and then they're trapped for yeah. It's like it takes some ridiculously long amount of time. I don't know if it was a year or ten years or something before your room comes up again, and yeah. it's just such an interesting concept. And like essentially the romantic lead, the titular princess of Mars herself, yeah. gets, gets trapped, and that was really cool. But the uh, the the sequels really started to get very repetitive yeah. and uh i lost interest by the third book i was like zoned out I don't even yeah he's the thing i like about him is he's he's full of ideas he doesn't always like i said he's hit or missed for me but the ideas i, I he's always coming up with yeah. stuff you know different cultures of Mar- martians and yeah and it's, it's funny now i think we have this weird skew on deja thoris because like um you know, all these dynamite comics where she's this absolute sex bomb and she's got the sword and she's killing everything in sight. And, you know, in the original books, she really is a wallflower I and mean, she doesn't do anything. She, she is there to be rescued. And what I actually like, um, eventually I got over the first three and I, I went on to, is it Thuvia? Thuvia must be the fourth I mean, Thuvia made of Mars. Yeah. She, she is yeah. badass. She like, she's out, she out and right stabs and kills someone during the course of that story. She's definitely so she, she much, she's much tougher than uh, Deja Thoris, actually. She gets, I know she's introduced in the second or third. I think it was the second. I really feel pretty confident that the, the first book was the one that ended with uh, the prison thing I'm talking about. Okay. I, I yeah. could be wrong about that. I could be wrong, but I feel like it was the first one. But the, uh, the second one was, uh, you know, it, it, it started, you're right. He, get, he get, goes from Earth back 
and uh and he i finds remember himself like, on the river is yeah think. he's yeah he's on the river he goes across the river there's the plant man he deals with them and then it, it's like the first other color martian people yeah and because we all we knew is that there were like the the red yeah. martians which was deja thoris and then, and then the green the, two-armed beasties the four-armed yeah what, four-armed what, right the yeah they were like the, uh i just can't remember what they were called uh, the Tharks. The Tharks. See, I was going to say yeah. Thok, and I knew it was wrong. Uh, the Tharks, right? Yeah. So they're and they're like very inhuman. So see, and, and and that's another funny thing about going back to the. If you go back to the old pulps, let's say you know, this is pulp. I mean, one thing that one thing that threw me out of the Mars series on that first trilogy was that um, I think Burroughs did. This is a weakness of Burroughs. He will he will he will throw away the character to make the plot work. Uh-huh. So like suddenly John Carter is just an idiot for like oh, three that pages. Kept happening, yeah. Oh, that and then and that so got to me. I was just like, you know, this guy, this superhero, you know, almost a proto superhero, right? He, he can, yeah, he can leap over tall buildings and he can do this. But when the plot required, he was rock stupid. Yeah, I, I remember yelling at the audiobook in the car, like just, oh come on. So, so you know, so to me, some of the thing with the pulp, the, the original pulp. Because they were cranking out serials, and sometimes they they weren't like looking ahead, but beyond what they were writing, um, it's not just like the sexism and racism that New Pulp addresses. I think, frankly, the plotting is much better with modern yes, writers. Yes, um, right. It's, it's just it's more readable. Um, I have tried, I've tried to enjoy Doc Savage, and I have a really hard time. Oh yeah, but, I've never tried. Uh, um, but I came to it as an adult. I think, you know, I know a lot of people who, who talk about it where they read it when they were a 12 year old boy and that was probably, you know, 10 to 12, whatever right. it was perfect, but, but they have that nostalgia and I go in and, and the, the plots just drive me crazy. Well, I mean, that's they the never thing. really get, they never get really resolved. There's always some sort of a hidden this or hidden that. And right. I don't know. And, so that's, just, it's interesting because like that, that's the whole thing. You just said it right? Yeah. Like they were 12. So like I can go back and I, I have memories of like the Thunder Thundercats being this amazing cartoon show. And right. it was just so great. And it had all this awesome stuff. And you go back and actually watch the Thundercats or He-Man for that matter. And it's, it's like really tough to watch. It's like, wow, this is really dumb. So yeah. um, I love it. And I'm always going to love it on whatever level. But I also understand that it's not actually good. Um, right. I just loved it at the time. So I think that, you know, what we're seeing is like with the, the new pulp is, you know, it's like, well, we're all fans of the old stuff. We all want to improve on it and we're not 12 anymore. And yep. it's the same, you know, reason why a lot of these like cartoons that are getting remade. Um, I'm just going to put masters of the universe aside, but like something like the new Voltron, um, you know, that, that was very much done by people who are fans of the original show. And uh, they, they're like, okay, let's, let's keep it the same right. sort of everything uh same genre same sort of comedic level only the stories are like incredible it's yeah. all interwoven and it's all like you know plotted out and there's like seven seasons of that show and it all makes sense and it just works and it's just incredible right so, you know so i don't know if you watched that show but it was great no i haven't i i'm terrible at watching things it was, hardly, honestly never, like great anything, but great long form sci-fi cartoon but yeah. uh uh, I think it was, uh, I can't, I can never remember what it's called. It's like, it's just the Netflix Voltron. I, it, I know it has like a sub. It's kind of funny because there's sort of a parallel with, you know, not trying to drag it into our, the robot, but part of my coming to superheroes, I also did late in life. 
Um, I mean, I like Spider-Man since I was a kid. Who didn't, right? But, yeah, you know, right. I pick up a comic here and there, but I, I never really got pulled in until, you know, Bruce Timm's Justice League animated. And okay. That, so that, that really got me going. But the, the funny thing is, at one point, I signed to you with Tim, Bruce Timm, and he said, um, you know, what's great is we have this whole history of DC and we have this palette that we can use. So, the, you know, they pull on this, they pull on that, like, they didn't do Hal Jordan. They did John Stewart, right? You know, just pull, pull in little things. And so that's sort of got me excited. So I go and I buy all these archives, right? You know, these Silver Age stuff uh, and, you know, trying to like do my own, like, ooh, let's find this gem and find that gem and buy all mm-hmm. these, you know, these cheap black and white, um, you know, Marvel Essentials yeah. or uh, DC. What they yeah, call them? The, I love that. that the they, showcases. Yeah, I love that. But at the same time, it's like 500 pages of stuff and the plotting is just like, Oh my God, I don't think I can do this anymore. So, you know, I don't, it's like, um, I, I like where I am with, yeah. with the history of, you know, because some of the Silver Age stuff is almost as corny. I mean, God, have you ever read the original Supergirls? I mean, I mean, no. Superman puts her in an orphanage. Uh, she comes to Earth and he's like, Yeah, you got to go hide out in an orphanage and learn how to be a human being. I do remember it's, when it's uh, like, it's just hard. She's at a, like, she wears <laughs> like a brunette wig. And, you know, so that when she's super gold, people don't, it's like, he stuck her in an orphanage. <laughs> you bastard. Terrible. I, I remember, uh, there was a, there was a website. I don't know if it's still around or not, but, super uh, dickery. super dickery. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, and I mean, I remember that, the brave in the bowl cartoon. Okay. I remember like 10 years ago or more, I found that and it was, it was yeah. like dying at all these classic Superman comics, just the covers. It was always, yeah. I don't know if that's what they said. Yeah. <laughs> sensationalism. Like, are you fucking kidding me? This yeah. is actually a real Superman cover. You know, I mean, there'll be, there'll be like bad stuff, like, yeah. like really like overt sexism and just terrible, like misogyny. Yeah, they, they did do that in Brave and the Bold. They had, they had Superman exposed to red kryptonite and there was like shot for shot. They recreated a bunch of those covers. Oh, that's so hilarious. Funny. That's so funny. That but, show was, uh, that, that show was funny. I, I at yeah. first I was like anti, no, I can't take this. And yeah. then it, I, I kind of, force myself to like watch a few episodes and it's like okay i know i i totally get what they're doing this is great yeah so but the same i do is sort of like you know there's so much old pulp that i don't want to get sucked into reading like every single thing i might read one or two to get the yeah. history but then i would rather read the new stuff yeah that's cool you know yeah, that's yeah. great it's but like you- i don't think i want to read five volumes of collected Jim Anthony he was this uh, Doc Savage knockoff. I'd rather read some of the modern <laughs> takes on Jim Anthony because he's right. public domain. Um, so people have rewritten him. That's funny. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I I don't feel the need to go on with the the Princess of Mars with the Mars uh, cycle at all. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you you actually told me I should read the Pellucidar stuff, uh, which yeah, that's I pretty fun. Have never read, but I love the movie. I love At the Earth's Core so much. Yeah, uh, that's one of my favorite uh, pulpy movies from this. I think it's from the seventies. Yeah, um, seventy five, I think. And uh, yeah, with with uh, Doug McClure. Yeah. And, uh, or actually, was that Peter one a little later? I'm, I'm thinking, was that seventy eight? I, just, I was thinking I, of the first two that were, um, what was it? Well, oh, you mean land like the, land, did, the people, the, the time, time forgot. forgot. Yeah, yeah. So it's land. It goes land, the time forgot. And then, and then people, the time forgot. Score. And then this was like, not actually a sequel. It wasn't really a trilogy. Right. Those two are, those two absolutely go together. What is like yep. people, the time forgot is the sequel to land, but 
this was like a spiritual sequel. So it sort of rounded out this trilogy that was like, it was all the same producers and uh, cause they were all made in England and, right. and uh, they all starred Doug McClure. And for, you know, for some reason they got this like square jawed American dude. And, yeah. uh, and no, they also, uh, but, it can't be a sequel cause they sort of shifted the time. Right? I mean, the first two are world war one and then that one is, isn't that sort of late 1800s? Yeah. Yeah. It feels very Jules Verne. I mean, the, the, the iron mole, is, yeah. is the um the the craft that they have they have this digging ship that's got a big drill on the front and and uh yeah it feels very jules verne of course you know it's not but uh yeah. it's burrows yeah, but um it's a fun movie wicked fun movie and and it's it's a rare uh comedic performance by mr peter cushing who yeah most people the probably know as grand moff tarkin but uh has been in a million things and uh, i'm just a, a huge huge fan of that guy but um, is actually his his last performance was also comedic. His last his final screen performance was in the movie. Um, oh, its name just went out of my head. It's the spot. It's the spy spoof by the airplane people that Val Kilmer's in. What is Top that, Secret. Uh, Top Secret. Yes, that's it. Yep. Yeah, he's in one scene of that, and it's yeah. I remember that the, the magnifying glass. Eye. Yeah, the magnifying glass. I and the whole thing. The dialogue's all reversed. Yeah, just in that one scene. It's it's such a weird movie. Uh, didn't work quite as good as airplane, but still pretty funny. But anyway, so if we go back to uh, the actual interview of the, uh, the what we're here for, um, not that we don't love tangents on Red Octopus because it's pretty much all I do. But um, so yeah, we were talking about genres and stuff like this, and you mentioned okay, well, superheroes. Your you know your your new book. If we're gonna let's let's get closer to getting into that. Tell me about like why did you switch? genres you're a lot of what you've written as i mentioned some of the stuff you've been in uh you've written horror you've written sword and sorcery type stuff pulpy stuff um and this is sci-fi superhero space aliens and it's also yeah. a novel so you you decided to do all new stuff <laughs> all at once i guess i did now you put it that way <laughs> um so well, what, yeah, what the was, hell are was... you thinking what what, what happened there well, I've been trying to break out of the short stories and write some longer works. Um, I don't know if I've written a novella, but, um, and I, this is an idea I had crawling around my head. Um, but before that I had done, um, I had taken a workshop for writing novels and I wrote a novel and I wrote a second novel and those were modern horror and I trunked them. They, I don't think they're up to snuff. And yeah. I actually, I was talking to Paul McMahon today and I was like, and you know, I didn't, um, I didn't really, uh, I just, I wasn't married to them so hard that I wanted to go back and do a lot of heavy rewrite. Um, you know, I just felt like they weren't for modern horror. They weren't horrific enough. They weren't gory enough. They weren't, uh, you know, uh, probably not scary enough. Um, so I had this other idea, um, and this is going back to the, so, you know, a quick thing is after Justice League ended on TV, what, I don't know, I, I used to say a lot of people don't know it, a lot of people know it now, but DC went and started making direct-to-video release uh, movies, and some were related to each other and some weren't, a lot of them were just standalone. Right, right. And um, the very first one of that was, was one of the takes on Superman Doomsday. And uh, I just animation wise, I'm not talking about the actual function of a robot, you know, but um, there's a, there's a great 
Kellex, you know, his, uh, his robot, although they only call it the robot in the movie. They never name him. Superman's um, little Superman's helper droid. Dude, <laughs> his little dro- helper droid up in the yeah. Fortress of Solitude. Right. And, um, well, I mean, the movie's been out a while. I don't want to give it away, but, you know, um, eventually, the, technically, the robot rescues Superman. He's the one who realizes Superman really isn't dead. <laughs> give it away. Oh. Um, so, um, and I just, this, it was just this year old movie about a 25 year old, uh, comic. yeah, this, this classic, um, you know, what if, you know, sometimes I don't know where ideas come from. I know sometimes you can just ask a question and the this question just popped my head. It's like, well, what if Superman was really dead? Like, what does Kellex do? Right. He's up there in the fortress of solitude. I mean, well, I, I know the fortress of solitude now he'd keep, take care of all the animal the alien animals that Superman has in there or whatever, but you know, his, his menagerie. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously I don't have the rights to write anything for DC or, <laughs> um, use those characters. So it's past each time. And, um, I started writing it as a novel, you know, I, I kind of bumped into this plot issue or that plot issue. And then, um, I got spurred on someone, and this is why I sort of feel like it's, I, I still classify it under new pulp or adventure, if you like. Um, a publisher was was calling out for pulp serials. They wanted to do serials. They wanted to put out a monthly 99 cent installment and then uh, like gather in the old days. Right. And gather it, it probably as ebooks and then gather it up, excuse me, as print when it was all done. And uh, I jumped right on that, sent a proposal. I had no, never done a proposal in my life, but, um, and they accepted it. I mean, ex- except the one. I mean, your yeah. wife definitely. Yes, that was the smartest move I ever made in my life. Yeah. So, other um, than that proposal, yes, you've been pretty dry. So, um, yeah. So I, and then I was sort of thing where I wanted to front load it because I didn't want to be like on the hook every month. So I right. really sort of pushed myself to get it done and get all twelve chapters done. Um, well, twelve originally, and um, that deal just never really worked out. It's fine. I'm not, you know, I didn't lose any money or anything. It's just, it wasn't working. And, um, the publisher understood and he said, yeah, it's okay. And I, I took it back and I just said, well, I'm going to, you know, I got this, I got, I got chapters here, you know, yeah. and, and they're, I don't know if in the novel, they all come out cliffhanger, but, you know, kind of ended them on cliffhangers and suspense. And, um, so I just fleshed it out as a novel again and actually finished it. And then, um, yeah, that was the journey of that story. Um, and then I had someone, I did hire a professional editor just because I was thinking, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to self-publish it. Um, not because of an ego thing or anything. Um, it was just, it's short. It's, it's a novel length, but it's 56 K, which nowadays, you know, not a lot of publishers, not a lot of big publishers want to look at that. So I thought, well, it'd be a win-win if, if, if it's professionally edited, then I self-publish it and I feel good that it's, yeah. you know, readable. Right. And if, if I, and if, a, and if I want to shop it around to publishers, well, it's a really nice clean manuscript. Um, clean as editing. It is also clean as in you can have your kids read it, but that's a different thing. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough that I, you know, through uh, writers networks, I, I got to talk to some publishers and the uh, publisher crossroad press, who were kind of started out as horror, but they actually, someone reminded me that no, they do uh, different genres now themselves. They do some fantasy. They do some, they actually have some superhero stuff too. Um, 
So I talked to them and lo and behold, they took the book. Nice. And then they put it out under their mystique press, which is their young adult. Um, I didn't write it as young adult, as far as like the, the character point of view, young adult. although one of the sidekicks, uh, superhero psychic, the understudy, although I think I, in my head, she's a little older than a kid, but um, you could say part of that, she's one of those characters who just sort of grew in my head and became bigger and bigger on the stage as yeah. the story went on. Um, but, you know, I, it was enough to put it on their YA. So you know, I'm hoping to sort of, you know, explore some YA channels because, hey, that's what it is. So. That's right. Nice. Yeah. So that's the journey of that novel. That's 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 a good journey, man. Started out as one thing for something completely different. And then yep. you're like, all right, well, I got this much. I might as well keep going, you know, finish it. Right. Do, do the thing and uh I, I love it man so tell us a little bit about the story we've we've alluded to a few things we've alluded to the fact that there is a robot that there are hours yep. that happen uh that it is sci-fi superheroes and there are space aliens uh yeah tell us a little so, more like entice so, um, people. Why, why should people pick this up so uh i kind of set it up like i said that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna I'm not going to lie. This is very DC um, influenced, mm -hmm. DC comics influenced. Um, maybe the I'm, next one. That's I should, not a bad I should, thing. A I should lot of people love DC comics. Um, so I sort of have this city, which you will probably know it's analogous to, but uh, I have this shining sort of near future city called Palace. Mm -hmm. And in Palace, about seven years before the story start, well, there's a little prologue in chapter one, but let's say about seven years ago, this uh, alien came down to palace and he's, and I didn't go into his backstory. We just know when the story starts, he is the superhero of palace. He's a big green guy. Um, and he, uh, he sort of, you know, fights crime and helps disaster, you know, uh, rest rescue missions and whatever you, whatever needs ha help. And uh, he lives in, so rather than do a fortress of solitude way up in the Arctic or something, he just lives in this penthouse lair in the city with his robot, who is called The Robot. <laughs> <laughs> with a capital R. Well, I can get into that. That was sort of, and um, so in their, in their city, he's pretty much, you know, he keeps an eye on crime and crime's pretty down. And he's a, uh, I mean, know, according, to the, according to the cover, he only has one eye, I believe, or his advisor. More of a visor situation. Uh, the robot has one eye. Yeah, one eye. that's okay. sort of the art we used. The art's more abstract on the cover. But um, anyway, in Palace, one day there's a train disaster and they find um, that there's actually some crime going on. There's some smuggling of arms going on. Um, and then in this other sort of dark and grungy city called Crowsport, there's a, a resident oh. vigilante crime fighter named the protector. And he has a sidekick whose name is the understudy. And they're sort of, uh, they've been working on this uh, gang and they find a connection to the, the, the arms that were being run. And of course, it turns out the protector and the alien know each other. Um, there's little, I didn't reveal the backstory. I don't know if I will, but you know, Clearly, they don't always get along, but they uh, they hook up for this to go after these guys, and uh, something goes right. wrong. Save for the sequel. That's cool. Yep, yeah. something goes wrong, and uh, 
basically the robot has to step out and join the crime fighting and uh you know come out of his lair and figure out how to how to be a superhero how do how do i fight the supervillain? how do i stop the big bad plot um but what they don't really know is that behind it all there's even more danger mm-hmm. perhaps even a, a planet-wide threat that they don't quite realize <laughs> Perhaps an evil planet-wide threat? Mm. That might cost them $1 billion. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so it's just a big mixed bag of, uh, actually, a friend of mine commented that it took a lot of twists and turns he wasn't expecting, which I was, that made me proud. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. You did that. You, uh, You threw him for a loop. I haven't gotten to finish it. Uh, myself, but I've I've read the first few chapters and I love the prologue. Uh, you know, I'm instantly like you know really invested because you, well, in this character who who is in the prologue, like <laughs> seemingly only I don't know if he comes back, but like you know it's in the middle of this situation, shit's gone down already, and we're it's happening and we're dealing with it, and and then you know it's like oh well what happened there? And so you're like on the hook for, with that guy. Yep. And then even though like, you know, yes, as you're, as you're describing the characters, you have analogs that are thinly veiled analogs, but they're not so thinly veiled that they're just retreading either. You do make them your own. And yeah. I think that that's really, really cool. I, so it's, at, I mean, at, you need to do that. You don't yeah. want to get sued or anything. And, well, and not just that you, you that's, <laughs> that's part of, no, sure, but that's yeah. part of, that's part of the joy of pastiching. I think is when you, yeah. yeah, I know so many people who will hang on. I mean, I don't put people down. There's clearly people who do a lot of talking and don't sit down and do the work. And, you know, there's, I, I come from a long time of being a Conan fan mm-hmm. um, of the literature Conan. And mm-hmm. I used to be on the Conan forums and stuff. And, you know, you know how the internet is. But, you know, there were, there's always people who were like, we oh, if I, could, <laughs> if, I, if I could write Conan, if I could write Conan, I was like, it's, you know what you do? you do the John Jakes thing and you make uh, Brack the Barbarian. I mean, that's what you got to do. You, you, you can't wait around for the opportunity f- to write um, media property to land in your lap, especially if you don't have anything to show for it. Right. You know, I, that doesn't, maybe that happened a long time ago, but nowadays most media tie-ins, they want to know that you're a known author. They want to mm-hmm. see what you can do. And then they'll ask you to write for Alien or Predator or Conan or whoever. Mm-hmm. So you can't just sit moping that oh if I only had the rights to write that. But it's didn't like, you didn't you see all the all the threads on Reddit where I was complaining and talking about how great I would be? Yeah. I mean, didn't you even see those? So um so you know and and then and it gets it's fun. It's like I use the music, you know, you do music, done music, I did music. Um you know, it's the kind of thing where like you we're in the band, my first band, it's like all cover songs, we do one original. And then the next band it's like Man, and the originals are now the originals are more fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> you start doing more and more originals and, and the and the the cover songs are just the encore. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you make that transition. It's sort of the same thing. You're right. It's like I took these characters, made my my analogous ones, and then they just became mine. Yeah, right. And uh, and that's a lot of fun, you know. So. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, in like d- down to, I mean, you kind of described tongue in cheekly, uh, you know, the main hero of 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 your city who you know is green and and you know it's it's like I I know you're kind of getting at Martian Manhunter, but right. I didn't especially feel like he was very Martian Manhunter 
No, well, the idea was, I mean, my idea was straight out, okay, he looks like Martian Manhunter, but he has Superman powers. Right. So he's, he doesn't shapeshift. He doesn't have the mental thing. He's just, you know, he's Superman and he's green. Yeah. He, he can't hide in humanity. Right. It ain't so, easy, but, you know, right. he, he pulled it off. For a while, he pulled yeah. it off. <laughs> so Very cool. Um, well, I mean, I, I really uh, am looking forward to finishing this book. And uh, I, you know, I'm just super happy that you got it out. And I remember talking to you about this uh, a while ago. It's been, I don't, I don't, I don't want to venture a guess because I may, I may uh, insult you. I, I feel like it's been a couple years. I mean, been, okay, well, I'll tell you, I, I, <laughs> I mean, the movie came out, you know, that gave me that seed. And I don't quite know when I grabbed the seed, but that, that little thing has been in my head since that movie came out. And then I can't, I don't even know when I started the first pass on the novel, but I do know thanks to Facebook memories. Um, it was three years ago that it was accepted as a pulp serial. So oh. yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey. It, it's wow. So three years ago, it was going to be a serial. Yeah. Um, so that... 2007 uh, was Superman doomsday. Uh, <laughs> oh God. The, yeah. The DVD. Yeah. It's po- I mean, it's possible you didn't watch it right away. Yeah, or, or that the, the idea didn't come to me right away, but um, that's definitely where it came from. Yeah, but yeah. No, and- publishing's funny. I, I said that. Well, our friend Paul McMahon, I'll plug him. Um, I had lunch with him today, so he's on my mind. But I was, I was saying that part of it might be my age too. But you know, time is almost like warping now, especially in publishing, where it's like. I look back and it's like, how long have I been doing this? And it's like, God, did I do anything? And then I do the math and I'm like, well, I, I got like one or two stories published every year. That's mm. not counting what I'm writing. That's not bad considering yeah. it's a right. I mean, I'll be honest for me right now, it's a hobby. You know, I would like it to be a little more, but mm. I, you know, I have a day job and I have a family and I have a house. And <laughs> right. But I mean, um, you know, it's like it, you're saying you're trying to justify it. It's like not bad, yeah. like compared to what, like compared to whose metric, you know, everybody right. is on their own journey and you know, you gotta, right. you gotta just so, do the work and however much you, you know, you put out is how much you can put out and that's it. Right. So I'm glad this is out. You know, I hope to get something yeah. out the next novel faster than that, but you know, yeah. it, it's uh yeah, it's kind of. I I think I th- I think you will. I have faith yeah. that you will. I I think it, it really is like you know, uh, you know that first one is just you have all these insecurities and all these things, and you're like, you know, it's 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 also really difficult to uh, stick a fork in that f- first one. You said this is your third, um, yeah. But you know, the other two, the way that you described them, uh, to me, they sound like very important exercises that you needed to do. Yeah, exactly. So they were, maybe they were never going to come out. Maybe you never, maybe you knew that doing it, but you still needed to do them. Right. Uh, And I actually have a a book and a half that I wrote that will never see the light of day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do not at all regret spending the almost five years. It took me to do that book and a half because I think that I needed to write, crap first and i needed to and i think there are good ideas and i think there was you know if i if i look back at it it's like i think there's some good stuff in there but i can see where i went wrong everywhere and stuff and i'm like okay so not just the quality of the writing itself but like the ideas and the the stitching them together just things just stuff 
and you get better at it. And the only way you can get better at anything is by doing it. So, you know, right. it's, that's important. Well, so I, this- I think part of that, part of that is my, um, you know, again, I go back to music because um, sometimes I can describe things better creatively. Um, but, um, you know, I'm always telling my kids this, like, you know, I, I played guitar for hours a day when I was young, hours a day, literally. I mean, wow. I was socially retarded, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, cause that, that was like one, I mean, it's been a few things in my life. But that was one thing in my life that I wanted, man, I wanted to play guitar and I wanted to know how to do it. And yeah. by God, I really focused on it. And, um, you know, I, I'm not the most super versatile guitarist, but I can play rock and roll. <laughs> I can play blues and, you know, my kids look at what I do. And I'm like this, I've been doing this since I was 15. That's why I can do what I do. Yeah. Um, but you know, being a 50 person, um, <laughs> uh, which I just can't, I say, cause I just can't believe it. Um, you know, I got to remind myself I'm, I'm, I'm kind of new at the writing thing and I got to remind myself it takes practice, you know, yeah. just like the guitar, yeah. but I, but I come at it like I can do all this stuff on guitar, but it's like, yeah, but you, you know, the, the timeline's wrong, Paul, it's not where you started. So right. yeah, you know, it's, it's the, look, sometimes you gotta, I argue with myself all the time. It's like, well, if I write 30,000 words and I throw it away, that's like 30,000 words wasted. It's not it's like, but if, yeah, but if you don't write anything, yeah, that's, that's even more wasteful. Right. Right. Totally. You gotta, and you got to do the practice. Yeah. You're getting exactly. Even if it's nothing more than practice, you know, you're, you're flexing the muscles, you're doing the things you're going through the motions. You are, you know, technically honing whatever you, even if you don't realize it, uh, you know, and I think that that's now, I don't think in my opinion, there is no such thing as a wasted creative endeavor. It's impossible. It yeah, can it can that's end a good up attitude. It can end up sucking. You can write a song that sucks. You can make a painting that sucks. You can write a book that sucks. But it it's not a waste. You, you know, you, you build a, a bookshelf that you know it's all wonky and and the, nothing's flat yeah. and the, the the stuff falls off. But like it doesn't matter. Like you learn stuff. You you're doing it. So I th- I think that you know. Yeah, that's a real healthy attitude. I I got to work on that a little more. Yeah, if if anybody's listening out there and you're thinking about doing anything, anything creative, anything creative at all, like just just do it. That's the best thing. It's it's like Paul said, you know, if if you feel like oh you could write the best, uh, you know, whatever fan fiction, whatever it is, whatever your whatever your bag is, he said Conan, whatever whatever you want, yeah. um, j- j- just just like start with figure out what you like about that thing. And or that painting or that, you know, that musician, like, what is it? What is it that inspires you? What What is it about that thing? And don't copy it. Just figure out the thing that you love. And you're like, oh, well, what do I like about this painting? It's it's like, well, I, I'm not going to copy the painting, but I like how it makes me feel. Because why? Oh, right. I don't know. The colors, the palette. Okay, well, I'm going to try to paint something different, but use that same sort of lighting, that same sort of palette same colors the same you know try to evoke a similar mood see what i can do you know and just make it yours and 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 i think that that's a great way to start anything like that yep. um very true let's, what's that go ahead no very true right. absolutely right. glad i'm not just talking out my ass because that happens too um so we we did want to d- delve into the big inspiration, which is Justice League, the cartoon from the 90s, which I, I am a huge fan of. Before we do that, um, I'm going to ask you 
a writerly question that I have, I'm sort of, I'm sort of deciding to myself that in future, future episodes of the brig, when we, uh, you know, I probably didn't even have the sound effect. It takes me too long to find the drops when they're not at the beginning or the end. So yeah. there was no slam there. Uh, how about we do this? I'll say the brig and you just do a pretend slam with like your voice. How about it would be fun. All right. We cool. All right. All right. Yep. Say, uh, in this episode of the brig slam. Perfect. There we go. All Thank right. you. Appreciate it, Paul. <laughs> Thanks for that assist. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think I think I'm going to ask this question every time. I think this is just a fun question that is 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 always interesting to hear what people say. There, it has been said there are two types of writers: plotters and pantsers. Yes, uh, that's uh, of course uh, to define that uh, people who either plot everything out. These are of course writing people mm. uh, who plot everything out and actually stick to their freaking outlines. Versus people who figure out the plot of their story as they go, i.e. fly by the seat of their pants, pantsers. Which one are you? And did this change when you wrote Hour of the Robot? That part, that last part, I'll change for the person. Yeah. I'm not going to ask everybody right. about Hour, Hour of the Robot. Robot, of course. That would be silly. But uh, in your case, it, it, it's very apt. Um, I, I'm going to cop out and say, I think I'm a hybrid. <laughs> of course you are okay so explain well I, I i like to sort of have a bullet list of plot points mm-hmm. i don't necessarily get deep um uh the other thing you mentioned was you know uh, plotters who plot and stick to it sometimes people plot it and don't stick to it i'm right. not sure what, what we call them um i mean short stories i, I probably don't plot um but i do have a uh I don't want to say a rule. I, I have a personal gut feeling if I'm writing a short story and if I am pantsing it, um, if I don't know how it's going to end by the time I get to the midpoint, I get jumpy. Like I kind of need to know where I'm going to end up. I don't mind the first half of the story being loose. Mm-hmm. Um, I had asked our, our friend, James A. Moore, Jim Moore, drop some names. Um, and he said, you know, he's definitely uh pantser but he just sort of he describes it as he kind of fords the river <laughs> and he, if you know what actually fording a river is you're walking into the water and you're feeling around with your feet for rocks and slippery rocks and you know the bank the the west bank or the the goal bank is over there somewhere and that's sort of how jim goes about it i mm. how the robot might have been a bit more like that i like uh, that a lot actually yeah i think that's i think i'm i'm a forder <laughs> yeah yeah and i think really if i look good. back i think that's where out of the road you know like i said I was, I was trying to crank those chapters out and once i sort of had the deadline knew i wanted you to do like then the ideas were popping up for scenes i'm like I, something has to happen here and i just did this wild scene um and then as i went on there was a little bit of back there's like a little bit of foreshadowing in chapter one i don't want mm-hmm. to talk about it just know there's some foreshadowing in there yeah you gotta read it and um and i was i was kind of happy that um when i turned it into that hour to the editor i hired she was like wait is this mean because of i'm like yeah yeah you got it (laughs) so um it was one of those nice so you know kind of forward it and then sort of put on you know do a little stitching a little sewing to you know the old shotgun over the mantle and act one has to come down on act three thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think, 
I would describe the the hour of the robot, and maybe that's how I'll do novels going on is just sort of um, fording. Yeah, I I I really do like that, and I think that that's pretty much everything you said is is what I do as well. Uh, you know, I have these uh, bullet points, uh, and in my case, the bullet points are scenes that I I want something to happen. And uh, in the case of uh, my book Marrow Dust, it was literally I want there to be a, an elephant in here. Mm-hmm. That was that was it. I I knew it the, when I started that. I'm like I want a scene because you know that it was a sequel to to another book, and and then you know I had everything set in Africa, and I had certain the elephant you know, mask and- creatures, yeah. But there was no elephant in that first book. I'm like, I'm doing an elephant. There has to be an elephant. But my God, I had no idea what the hell I was going to do. And I changed my mind on what to do with the elephant like so many freaking times. Yeah. And, and it finally ended up being like the scene that everybody came back to me and, and talks about. So it's like, well, I'm glad that that all worked out. But, yeah. oh, my God, I couldn't have planned that. I, I just... I, I, I tried not to worry about, I've learned to try not to worry about stuff like that. So if it's a bullet point and I'm not sure how it works in, I, mm-hmm. I don't forget it. I just put a pin in it and I'm like, all right, let's just, let's just go forward. And yeah. at a, a, some point, a little bit of non-linear, non-linear writing too. Not a lot, but sometimes I would, you know, like you well, you'll write like later it. chapters. Yeah. Before, oh, I could never do that. Oh my God. It would never, it would never work. For I me. didn't do it extensively, but like once in a while, if I'm like, Oh, I know, I know something's going to mine. Wasn't so much. I wanted to show a scene as much as I, I, I knew a scene had to do something. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm like, okay, I know that at the end of this, such and such has to be revealed, but I don't know where it's going to happen or how it's going to happen or who it's going to happen to, but I kind of know what the, what's happening after that. So I'll go right after that. Um, I was actually talking to Dana That's Cameron crazy. on her panel. It sounds like she writes really out of order. <laughs> like, oh yeah, someone, I think it was Charlene Harris was like, I could never do that. Yeah. For but, me, like it, it doesn't even like, I don't, I don't have all my ideas. Like even, yeah. even the ideas, like I said, with the elephant, like I had ideas at first. Yeah, sure. So if I had gone and wrote, written that elephant scene based on what I was thinking at the beginning, I wouldn't have used it. It's not right. wasted, but I would I wouldn't have been able to use it, um, you know. So that's that's crazy. But I do know there are people who who you know they they are strict plotters. They they figure out the the outline. They and they just stick to it. And and in that case, I could see it totally working. But for yeah, me, I mean, I I had done screenwriting for a while, not professionally. Yeah. It was a hobby thing. Um, so I I kind of lean on structure, even if it is just bullet points. So my bullet points aren't just bullet points. They will usually be like Act One, Two, Three. Mm-hmm. so i kind of at least you know sometimes i even do the math i actually told someone about that about doing the math and they looked at me horrified because i'm supposed to be a writer but i'm like well you know 21 chapters seven chapters an act yeah. what happens at the end of what happens at the end of chapter seven there has to be a, a big transition you know the hero should make a decision that um, propels it into act two <laughs> so I, I do a little bit of that too okay so um so you know in, in this case it's sort of i don't well we know the we know the robot has to step up, right? So that's sort of what happens is, oh, okay, that's a decision the robot makes. So clearly that changes the dynamic of everything. The robot is not in the lair anymore. It's out fighting crime. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of, maybe it's not exactly on, on the act mark, but that, that's to me was, okay, that's the moment where act one should be ending. 
and pushing into act two. Right. And I, I think that does make a lot of sense for screenwriting and, and even just TV shows. Like, you know, it, yep. sometimes, you know, if you're doing something, especially like, oh my God, especially with a pr- police procedural, yeah. you know, they, they all sort of follow the same structure. You know, you have right. a crime and then you have your chief suspect and then you meet like uh, they do interviews and they, they interview like, you know, five, six people and and at the end, it's always the person that you suspect the light, the least. I mean, that's just like yeah. every episode and you know, Law and Order, whatever. I watched like you know four and a half seasons of Bones way back in the right. day before I was like, wow, I literally am watching the same episode over and over. I can't do yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I do do some of that. Um, yeah. And of course, they have to. They have to be. And well, right. and it sells too. It's like it's like you know we're saying, oh well, you know, old pulp is is goofy yeah. to an extent, and you know it's hard to get back into at this point. But like it was for the audience, it was for, and it sold. It right. did its job. There was no reason to to break the mold. That was the mold. It worked, tried and true. And you have a certain amount of minutes, you know, right. for ne- network TV or something, you know, whatever. Yeah, and just. Um- not that I expect anyone to come knocking, but if you do something sort of structured like that, then adaptations come easier later if, if you're that fortunate, right? Mm-hmm. Be it a movie or someone wants to come and do a five-issue comic book or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I kind of, yeah, I already have this structure set up. Yeah. So, um, and, and just so much of us, of our world now is cinematic that, I mean, I think a lot of books probably reflect that nowadays. It's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, I think the just the art of telling stories has just gotten very, very, very good on TV. Yep. And, uh, you know, even if you just go, uh, you know, back to the 80s, you know, to yeah. our beloved, the beloved hit shows like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, A-Team, Incredible Hulk, yeah, what, what I watched when A-Team. I was a kid anyway. I don't know what actual good shows were, but A-Team. that's what I was. I was, a, I was a small child, so... Um, uh, I don't know, like compared to to something like we're seeing now today, and well, even with like the Disney Plus series, the Marvel series, like Loki and everything, like that was incredible. Yeah. Like the, what they did with that show, uh, it's just absolutely uh, mind blowing that that was a, a technically like a show. Right. You know, that's not a movie. It's it's so insane how the art form has changed. Um, but I think we've also learned, you know, like like use of the formula. Some, you know, um, you also kind of want to. I mean, I think the best sequels are the ones that break formula oh me too totally different oh me too one of my favorite Uh, sequels of all time bill and ted's bogus journey yeah completely broke the mold they could have so easily just been in college and had to do another report and gone back to get other people they could have easily done that and they're like yeah we're not even going to do anything remotely similar they're going to die and go to hell for me it's like it's like alien and aliens. I mean, it yeah. changed genre, right? Yeah, it went complete, from, complete went from horror sci-fi to sci-fi action with horrific yep. monsters. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. As so, opposed uh, to predator who just tried to capture the, the magic of the original in a new setting <laughs> right. and it's definitely inferior. Um, I mean, I know some people say it's the best one, but they're just, they're just reaching, I think. But uh, I, I mean, I like they're, con- they're contrarians. Yeah, I like Predator too. Fine, it's fine. It has a great ending, but yeah, um, you know, it's it's not the first one. But you know, it tried to be. It tried to you know outdo it and be grosser and uh, sexier in parts, and you know, uh, yeah. So, 
So now I got to yeah. So, so now I got to make sure my hour of the robot sequel is different, or people will laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> you said. Well, I think it's the, I think it's the opposite. I th- I think with books, people just want what they loved about the first one again. I I think yeah. I think you know some of the most popular books are like you know the the romance novel. I, I can remember actually the the funny enough. I don't mean to keep dropping names, but the first time I met Bracken McLeod. Okay, that, make it rain. Just make it rain. Just drop them all. That, no, it was at Econ. In one of the first conversations I ever had with him, I think, I don't know who else was there. It was either Charles or Jim. Or Come on, make it rain. Drop them all. <laughs> Charles Rutledge. <laughs> and, um, but I said something about, you know, anthologies. I love anthologies of short stories, and they always seem to be, a, you know, a hard sell and stuff. And um, Bracken was like, it, it's the world building like a, a reader if a reader gets an anthology um and for the for the um uninitiated out there anthology is a collection of short stories by different authors whereas a collection is all by the same author but if you get an anthology that means every story a reader goes into they gotta they gotta reset if you read an anthology straight through i mean i like to pick in story but if you're, you're sitting down to read an anthology of short stories every story you have to reset because it's a, a new world, new characters, uh, even though they're short and uh, you compare that to like these book series that come out, right. Dresden mm-hmm. files or Charlene Harris's, um, the vampire stuff, or they get over that hump of the first book, but then every book they go back to is just what you said, right. They kind of know what to expect. They, they probably want a different plot, but the characters are there that are like old friends and yeah, the world invested. is the world they know. They are already invested. And that's why, you know, anthologies are a real hard sell, but you hit on a series and it just takes off. Um, right. Yeah, and it's I, not that they don't have their, uh, their audience, but they're uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've been at a, a, a few cons at this point and um, the books on the table that sell are, are, not often the anthologies right although the I mean, uh god bless scott god's word i'm gonna yeah. rain uh yes uh whenever whenever i'm with the uh the new england horror writers uh the the, the new wicked book always sells very well yeah so he's cracked that code but uh that's that's really really great but it is in general it's 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 tough um and I it's think- true i mean i just started today i finished a book i was reading last night and today i started reading um Glenn Cook's one of his Garrett P.I. books. I don't know if you've ever read them. He's a private eye in a fantasy world, which I know has kind of probably been done to death by now, but I think he was one of the first. Is is Glenn Cook the uh, Black Company guy? Yeah. He also does this very Chandler-style um, P.I. thing, and he does it very well. Oh, cool. I, um, I haven't read that. Yeah, and uh, it's, been, he, it's a long series. There's like... 14 of them now and these i mean these are standalone these are like you know private eye gumshoe stories but i picked one up and I, it is it's like oh it's old friends right i mean it's yeah and it's glenn cook because the, the styling is just you know it, um garrett's this private eye he used to be in the it's a fantasy world though i think he actually said he based the city on st louis um physically but um so garrett's a pi he's an ex-marine um he lives in this house with this dead man. Uh, the dead man is actually a dead a creature called a logre. It's sort of like this giant ogre and it's dead. But but magically, like once in a while, it will wake up. Its spirit will wake up and 
usually at some point in the book it'll wake up usually it spends like half the book dead and he's trying to get it get its attention and he can't get it to wake up and uh, you know just all these wonderful glenn cook touches you know there's morally the half elf who's not like a half waif elf but half you know like old scary elf okay who owns the local bar and has a gambling problem and uh you know and it's just it is it's i haven't read one of these in a couple of years and it's like just going back to old friends right away you know i mean i i personally have that experience with like the happen leonard books right joe Lansdale. same idea yeah. uh which you know it's it's uh, i don't know every time i start a new one it just feels so good <laughs> to get back and he writes yeah. he writes those characters just so incredibly uh lifelike they're so so real um and that's just a testament to a good author but yeah i mean it, essentially they're just separate cases and a lot of the uh other ancillary characters will be relegated to that one book a lot of times right. you know yeah. you'll have some that you know are in the police officers and you know cer- certain characters you'll see more than once but yeah. a lot of times not yeah i i gotta hit on one of those man <laughs> that's that's the other thing with the pulp stuff is a lot of the, a lot of the new pulp a lot of not a lot but um you know some of them they find the series um there's one by a guy barry reese called the adventures of lazarus gray which is sort of a take on the uh the Avenger, which was like the the second sort of thing um, Lester Dent did after Doc Savage. Oh, okay. Um, but it's 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 so well done. I, I went through the first three like candy. Yeah, I think I think he has nine out. He said he has fourteen volumes written. He's just waiting to you know put them out in a timely fashion. But I'm like, that's that's good if you can find a good series, you know, just yeah. the right co- combo of characters and setting that you can keep coming back to and bring your readers back. I still got to crack that nut. It's, it's, it's really, it's really tough. And the, the, the thing for me personally, cause you know, I have one series that has the two right? Uh, and, and it's, it's like, I keep having new ideas. I, I, it's like, Oh, a shiny new thing. Yeah. Uh, and then I just, I just put out a book and people are like, Oh, when's the next one coming out? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, uh, that's it. that one. That one took me a while, and I'm doing yeah. something right now. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, totally different right now. Uh, so I, so I don't know. Uh, at some point, but that's what they want. They're, they're, you know, and and a lot of times, uh, you know, it's it's hard to find success if you're, you know, we all want to be Stephen King in the sense of like, oh well, I'll just put out what I freaking feel like it, and if yeah. I'm gonna come up with a series, you're gonna wait seven to eight to. 12 years in between books and you're gonna you're gonna yeah. just like it and uh and if not then then whatever but you know we, we i mean you know they, we can't all be stephen king <laughs> yeah um so it's uh it's it is it is tough but i you know it's it's harder definitely i think to be that sort of a uh that sort of old style novelist i think that was that was very accepted um at one point like very accepted and i think i think now yeah. it really is all about the series and yeah. if you if you want the success if you want the like right. money now you know that's why you know um what's what's the dresden guy's name is staples uh jim butcher jim butcher yeah. staples butcher butcher greg for some reason greg staples was in my head he's a he's a comic book artist uh judge dread guy uh who actually yeah. who actually i don't total freaking sidetrack here oh it's uh he uh did all the illustrations for the robert e howard horror stories collection which is my all-time favorite collection right uh amazing illustrations in that uh, absolutely 
just gorgeous pen and ink stuff all just oh my god that's greg staples right jim butcher like i cannot believe like my mom has been reading the dresden books for i mean 15 years i think or so yeah. and and i just it, it just amazes me that there's always more there's always or even like the jack reacher books or yep. whatever like there's so there's so many you get these you get these authors and they they hit success with they have success yep. they hit with something and it's like okay boom i'm just gonna ride this way forever and i you know i say all the power to them but my god i i just i don't know i just can't do it yeah i mean i wouldn't mind having one you know if, if it was shorter novels too and then i could still do other stuff on the side i mean in theory i could turn hour of the robot and something like that expand the heroes and do yeah. stuff but and i might but i do feel like there's a there's a trilogy or a duology to start it mm-hmm. i feel like there i feel like there's a structure there that sort of fell out naturally um maybe after that you know i'll see where it goes but um yeah and of course mysteries i mean they miss you know crazy oh sure yeah then crazy series of mystery stories and yeah i mean you can but, you know your sherlock holmes template you know you just have yeah. you guys investigating i mean i that's you know police procedurals really came from that kind of storytelling but uh i mean it's all good stuff but um anyway so uh we've been talking about pulp and new pulp and books and all sorts of good stuff and robots and hours and uh <laughs> and we we uh i think we should uh talk about the retro portion of the evening before uh we're here for three hours because that does okay. uh that actually happened actually with cat scully there's another name for you we're just throwing out all the names yeah yeah all the names and uh she was here to talk about Jennifer Strange, and then we ended up talking about Evil Dead because she loves Evil. Ah, uh, yeah, she's a huge, fan. huge Evil Dead, and it was like this. It, I, it's like a three-hour episode or something. It's, it's <laughs> like ridiculous. I don't know what happened. We looked up at the time and we're like, "Oh my god, we have to go." So, um, you wanted to talk about the '90s cartoon Justice League uh, by Bruce Tim. That was the third show that he did after Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series if you don't count the new adventures of Batman and Robin when they resurrected the original Batman show. Don't forget Batman Beyond. Oh, Batman Beyond. Oh, so was this the fourth one? This, yeah, yeah it was this just like it was fourth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Batman Beyond. I love Batman Beyond. And Batman Beyond did show up in a couple finales for this show, which is... Uh, yeah, that was cool. So I Batman Beyond's funny. I didn't... I mean, I, I, I occasionally caught the Batman once in a while. I don't know if I saw any of the Superman... Um, Batman Beyond, I got turned on to at the end with the Return of the Joker movie. Oh, yep. That was the first thing I saw of Batman Beyond. And that was a good, that was good. And I, 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 I like that so much. And I what I really like, actually, I had a friend of mine who was sort of like, he was like, oh, I don't know. I said, I said, you know what's so great about Batman Beyond? Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is an old man. Yeah. He's just, he sells that series even more than, the, you know, the Batman Terry McGinnis to me. I just I loved um, yeah. Kevin Conroy's old Bruce Wayne. It oh, just yeah. worked so well. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. No. I so I I um actually remember when Batman the Animated Series came out, uh, and it was premiering, uh, with its very first episode being I it's I, I can't remember the it, title, but the bad guy was like the it was this big lady who dressed in red. It was like the Scarlet Claw or something yeah. like that, or the Crimson Claw, the Cult of the Crimson Claw, maybe. And, and Catwoman was in the episode. And what I, what I thought was just amazing because obviously, you know, the drawings, the animation, all the stuff, you know, I'd never seen a cartoon look like that. It's so dark. It's, 
it's all these things. It's it, also it's new pulp. That first Batman show is very, very new pulp. It's very much yeah, very noir. 40s. All the cars, everybody's driving these long Al Capone gangster special cars. Yeah, shooting Tommy guns. They're all dressed in their fedoras and their suits, and everything is yeah. very 1930s, 1940s looking and i love that it, there was it was sort of out of time it just you didn't know right. when it was supposed to take place is it am i literally yeah. supposed to believe this is the 40s or what and then you had that batman go into superman which is modern time so it's like okay so i guess yeah. um it's just gotham it's just yeah. style that gotham has gotham is deco 40s and never yeah. stopped being deco 40s yeah right exactly just like you'd you know you'd see like an old movies like oh it's, this, the fashion is all the rage in paris well it's like yeah. oh well you know it's all the rage in gotham like 40s gargoyles like, and chrysler buildings and- <laughs> right yeah uh it's awesome stuff so i loved i loved that uh couldn't couldn't get over the look of it but i also thought it was so interesting that they threw us in as i mentioned catwoman is in that episode and um and it's like they already have this long history this is not like they're meeting right no origin for no none like you do eventually because i think you know eventually they did like flashbacks and this and that but they didn't start with the first episode like here's kid bruce right Right, going to the theater to see Zorro and his parents. Right. Get, it's like we know, we know, <laughs> and, and that was like ninety one or ninety two or something like. Yeah, that. they that figured time, it out then. Bruce Tim knew that we didn't need to film, and and yet it's in every freaking movie. Yeah, um, so I love about the new Spider Man movies. How like the yeah, Spider Man just scuttled Uncle Ben. He is, he is Spider Man. Yeah, and they scuttled Uncle Ben. We we don't yeah. we don't need to see it. We don't need to know the 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 line. We 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 understand. We get it. But um, but yeah. So like, there was all that. So I was actually not that big of a a Batman fan per se. I honestly, I was never really into DC Comics until I saw this. I was I should say DC characters right. until I saw this. Yeah. Now I loved the Batman movies. Don't get me wrong. I loved I loved the movies. But all I knew pretty much based other than like you know just just i know that the penguin is a guy i know what he looks like you know but i even then that was probably from the 60s batman show but like i didn't i never read the comics before so like going in this introduced me to a lot of characters i i know who i knew vaguely who two-face was i did not i'd never heard of poison ivy um i'd never heard of the scarecrow i'd never heard of clayface i'd never heard of uh the man bat like a ton of characters uh were i this was my introduction into these amazing characters the rogues and, gallery yeah. yeah and and only later did i learn like a lot of what i loved was added by bruce tim like like uh i think most famously the mr freeze of the iteration of mr freeze was the first time he was really taken that seriously yeah um, and, so and i mean he invented like, he invented harley quinn yeah, he invented Harley Quinn, but for and she wound up back in the comics later, you know, that, right, that's right, and now she's you know she's one of their biggest characters, yeah. which is so insane to me. Like I just can't. But the whole like invention of Mister Freeze has a wife, and she had yeah. an accident, and now she's floating in a glass tube, and he pines after her at night, and has this other whole side to him, and you know all that stuff was just invented. He was just a guy who stole diamonds and and had a freeze gun, made bad ice puns and had a freeze gun. Like he just sucked. Um, 
but so uh, again, an updating of the pulp, right? Or an updating yeah. of the Silver Age. Oh, stuff. absolutely. Now absolutely. we get a story that you can really absolutely. hang hang your hooks on. And so, so as a as a as a kid, I was vaguely familiar with Batman from the movies in the '60s show. You know, I would say not more than vaguely familiar, but like Superman, I was never a fan of. I didn't love the movies. I I just didn't care about Superman. I never cared about any of the goody two shoe characters. So like, yeah. Captain America. The only reason I love Captain America is because of freaking Chris Evans. If it wasn't for Chris Evans, I would not give two shits about the character still. I always hated that character. I thought it was so dumb and boring. And he's like, you're what you're fighting for truth, justice in the American way. Like, just like Superman, like, go. So I, I actually like, so like, um, if we're going to tangent anyway, so the thing in my house was comics weren't forbidden, but they weren't really encouraged. Okay. So I had very few comics growing up. I, you know, I have a handful, you know, my dad didn't think much of them at all, but the, f- I think the first superhero comic I ever had was an issue of Captain America and the Falcon. And, okay. uh, and uh, there's, so the funny story is I was, I don't know what age I was. It was mid seventies. I was, you know, eight to 10 years old, but in this, uh, so they're in a lighthouse. It's you know it's modern day, um, and the Red Skull is killing people. And, As he does. Uh, there's like this rain. I should say assassinating. Right, he's he's picking people off, and there's this rainstorm, and uh, they all end up. Event, you know, there's a few fist fights, and the skull gets away, and they end up locked in this lighthouse. And of course, um, the lights go out. The lights go on. Someone's dead. And it ends, and uh, Stan Lee does his usual um, sign-off, or whoever's pretending to be Stan Lee, right? Right, right. right. And they say, uh, I don't know what it was, but it was something like, enough said. You have always. Patient. Right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Apostrophe N-U-F-F said. Yes. I was a literate enough child that I didn't understand and I spent years trying to figure out who the fuck Nuff was and what he had said. <laughs> what did Nuff say? <laughs> I don't understand. Oh. I knew how enough was spelled. I didn't know it yeah. was enough. I'm like, who's Nuff? What did he say? What are you talking about? <laughs> Nuff said. <laughs> oh, so, so yeah so that's my that's my that's my captain america memory that's pretty funny so i was actually ang- more angry with stan lee than a captain america that's fair so but i i was i i only bring up captain america anyway because i i love 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 the character in the movies so very yeah funny. well the movies are funny because someone was pointing out um another friend of mine van allen plexico um that you know in the comics tony stark is not funny Tony Stark is like a really straight-laced, boring businessman. Um, what they kind of did was they kind of took the, I guess, the comic character of Hawkeye, who I guess was more smarmy. Yeah. And they sort of stuck him in, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. And then, so now you have the Hawkeye in the movie is more serious. It's sort of this weird, like, you know, and it's funny, Van has a superhero series, a prose series, and his um, Iron Man guy is very much like the one that wound up in the movie yeah you know a lot more you know a lot more you know cutting cutting wit and stuff like that um so it's funny how those things work because like talking about justice league so you get to the justice league cartoon and um again it's sort of like you know i said that 
interview where Bruce Timmons said he pulled all these different pieces. They so they do John Stewart instead of Hal Jordan, right? They they Dr. do Wally West instead of um, Barry Allen. Yep. And yep. Wally West is this really smarmy. He's always chasing the ladies. And then I go and I read like the comic, and I'm like, oh, that's actually Plastic Man. Like, I don't think they thought they could get away with Plastic Man in the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, maybe that was just too much of a stretch, but they sort of took his personality and put it on Wally. Yeah. Yeah, um, Wally, Wally was definitely the, the jokester of, of the group. Right. So, uh, sure. But yeah, yeah, you're right. They were funny how you mix, they mixed that up. Right. And even in, so I don't, I don't want to completely skip over Superman. Just, just briefly, uh, what I was getting at with the whole Captain America thing, it's like, I never cared about Superman, but when... The Superman, the animated series came on and I, you know, we find out that was going to be a thing I was excited for it because I loved the Batman show so incredibly much. So I, I have watched, I watched them all as they came out and yeah. that, that Superman show is to me, the best Superman thing that has ever existed. I yeah, love that great. show so much. I love it. Love it. Love it. And it, it just proves like there are right and wrong ways to do characters. And I understand that the version of Superman in the comics and in the Richard Donner movies that I don't particularly like, I understand that plenty of people love, you know, yeah. everything's subjective, but to me personally, it's like the same thing with Captain America, everything that I had ever seen or, you know, read or anything. I didn't care about him until like all of a sudden Chris Evans comes out and it's like, Oh my God, this just works. So, so I, full of personality. That, yeah. yeah. And, and, and like, I don't know, all the cheese is gone. Like even yeah. though wearing the flag, like he's not this cheesy, like thumbs up soldier type. And that's yeah. like, always wasn't like the video games and stuff and just everything. Any, anytime he had, you know, lines to say, it was always such a cheese ball. And there's just this integrity that Chris Evans brings that it's like, it's, it's not even close to cheesy, but I don't know that that Superman show is so damn excellent. And yeah, I, think it is. It does, I want to rewatch it. Yeah. I think it, it does not get the love. I think that absolutely Superman, uh, Batman does. Batman yeah. the animated series sort of eclipses everything. And I think the justice league show and for sure, Batman beyond has its fans. And I really think that of them all, I think Superman gets the least amount of love. And, and yeah, well, actually, I mean, that's sort of excellent. That's sort of borne out by the fact that he hasn't gone on Blu-ray yet. Oh, like all the other stuff okay. has had Blu-ray sets. I actually went looking and it's like, no, Superman, they haven't done the Blu-rays yet. That's funny. So I, I, I own them all in DVD and I was just, yep. I was planning on just, not rebuying everything so i yeah I, I just but it they they could use i mean the print is not great you yeah. know to, to look at to watch it now i throw it on i, I definitely on, i did upgrade my TV. justice leagues and um and the batman set was on sale but i still have the dvds of the superman and the batman beyond great great shows both of them are just so. really great shows that lots of great yeah. ideas and great takes and if you want to yeah. talk about um invention right uh they invented livewire right and the other thing with that Superman cartoon that I find fascinating is, again, you know, working with that palette. I, I know in one of the featurettes on the on the disc set somewhere, Bruce Tim, he actually he they had to convince him because I didn't realize that that Brainiac is also unique because Brainiac wasn't from Krypton. Oh, right? if you watch some of the other Brainiac movies they've done and other stuff, he's 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 just an alien. Um, they they actually went and. Pitch to Tim that they should, you know, you talk about making a, you know, cohesive narrative, you know, threading stuff in, 
setting stuff up over the long term. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they finally convinced him that, yeah, Brainiac should be a Kryptonian thing. And of course, they carry that all the way through Justice League to the very end. And um, so I, mean, I thought that, so that I thought that was really cool once I learned that, oh, yeah, you know, again, somebody, he was just this alien who did this thing, you know, cr- collecting planets. Wasn't or, or, Brainiac or also cities. referenced in Man of Steel? At, on uh, crypt, uh, wasn't Brainiac like I haven't watched just it. the just the inert uh, okay, you haven't seen it at all no oh I but, I could I, I mean it's been a while since I've seen the movie the, but I yeah they might have like, done a nod because well because well because the 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 opening of Man of Steel is actually pretty cool it's all it's all Jor-El yeah and uh you know played by Russell Crowe and it's all him on Krypton as it's about to explode and it's a decent chunk it's not like five seconds it's like he gets 10 minutes or something it's pretty cool and um they show lots of fun stuff but i i believe he because because the bruce tim so i didn't know that i didn't know that that there's an invention of that show but um i you know the story is that initially brainiac was just the computer on Krypton that was, you know, inert and, you know, helpful and just kind of ran their records and helped them, I don't know, doing whatever they needed to be done. And then, and then eventually it gained sentience later and turned fully evil. But in, so, so I think that I I feel pretty confident that, that he even says like Brainiac and, you know, know, it's like computer, you know, like, right. So, so yeah, so they, uh, yeah. So they would have brought that from the cartoon and actually really cool. Good news. Well, I don't. Know if we'll see how it plays out. The um, they just started a Justice League comic in in the Justice League animated universe. It's like oh. on its second issue right now. Oh, pretty cool. And um, yeah. So and it has um, the other thing exciting. It has the show writers. Like I, I recognize the names. Oh, like Paul Dini. Uh, actually, Dini's doing. So they've also done Batman: The Adventures Continue. And oh. comic, and this is actually season two just started up. So yeah, I just started um, grabbing those. This that's really cool. Week. That's so really cool. See if they hold I mean, up. But it's it's like you know the drawings you know got simpler as the shows went on, as the years went on. They refined the line work, they refined the shapes, and they ended yeah. up looking. You know, they they're. I think you you could say that they're simple. They're they're very simple looking drawings, but they have such an understanding of light and dark. It's kind of like Mike Mignola's stuff, like the Hellboy. Yeah, and they're so iconic now. Yeah, I mean to me, like he he never draws anything that's that uh, detailed. All of his stuff is is sort of rudimentary lines. You know, it looks a little bit messy, and yet he he brings this intense like level of sh- shadow and darkness and, oh, yeah. and you know and and it just there is some magic about mike mignola's stuff i don't know what it is and and like and that is i think what i f- how i feel about what the bruce the bruce tim shows became um because you can't look at those early couple seasons of of batman the animated series and get this the the drawings right. were different back then but they, they really and, and like they became so angular as it yeah. was you know but I, I love it. It's iconic as hell. Like you just said, iconic. Yeah. It, it is. It's just so incredibly. The way and he it, evolved, like the, you know, right. There was a first Batman was very noir. And then they did that. What would they call it? Gotham Knights. 
which now they just call Batman season three, but it really was a different show. And that sort of led into Superman and then Batman Beyond. I remember another commentary on Justice League is that Batman's ears are kind of a little extra tall. Yeah, they're longer. And and that's a callback to the Batman Beyond costume. You know, just this little call. So there was like this evolution of the look Mm -hmm. as it went with callbacks, you know, and I like stuff like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and they, they, uh, there were some really, really iconic looks too that they came up with for like, uh, alternate characters or just the way that they, uh, translated the way somebody looks. Um, I I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. There's, I don't remember which episode it is, but there's an episode with, uh, this alternate universe version of the justice league and they're the justice boards and they're evil, uh, Superman's costume, justice Lord Superman yeah specifically is my favorite superman costume ever well I, i'm looking at the figure right now I, oh you I, have I got, the figure of it <laughs> I, I got a bunch i got a bunch of the justice league figures so number like, one with a bullet he's yeah. got like this black and the white yeah more white than black and the white Big white clay shoulders like oh my god and, yeah. it, and it incorporate the white is incorporated into the top of the s if i'm not yep. mistaken yeah like awesome like so incredibly awesome. I love I love that costume so much. Best evil Superman look. Best Superman look in my opinion. But uh uh that was such a good one. And I you know it's it's interesting you were saying like oh you know they they switched things up. They did uh John Stewart instead of Hal. Uh right. well in fact the, a Green Lantern was introduced on Superman. And it was Kyle Rayner because he was right. the, he, he was, was the one of the current, comics of the time. Yeah, he was the current Green Lantern. So Literally, the only appearance of Hal Jordan, uh, I I could be wrong. I believe is in the second season finale. When and, there's the time, uh, the time shift warp, and he's there for like three minutes, three seconds. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, right. it's just uh, he shows it. He's like, I'm up to speed, and he goes and does whatever he has to do, and then he disappears. Well, I th- I, th- I think because time was unraveling, I believe that right. John Stewart shifted and became Hal Jordan. Yeah, like, something like that. And they're like, "Who are you?" He's like, "Uh." Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, like who are you? And then he just kind of shifted back, and it was just like their their one appearance of that character. Yeah, but I love I love the uh, the episode where they actually showed us the the more beloved of the Hawkmans, Carter Hall. Um, oh yeah, he just gets the one episode. Um, I think it's of Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, it was later because she was. Um, yeah, she wasn't. In, uh, doesn't have her mask on anymore. When you know, she was so sort it's of called disgraced. Shadow and, of the Hawk. It's yep. uh, episode twenty-eight, and uh, yeah, he he's an archaeologist, and they, you know, in the Bruce Tim verse in the Justice League show, you know, we have the Hawk Hawk Girl and her people. They're aliens, right? Thanagarians, right? Thanagarians, yeah. But that's not that's not what the deal was in the old, in the old comics. No. Well, they went through a lot of iterations, a lot of iterations. Right. But Carter Hall in the, like the, the, the golden age Carter or so maybe he was, I think he was, he was a golden age character. Maybe it was silver. Maybe I'm wrong. The old stuff. I'm not like an expert on at all, but I know that he had nothing to do with aliens at all. And then, so this sort of makes it all okay. And if I can just read the, uh, the Wikipedia synopsis of this. Sure. Uh, so Shadow of the Hawk, season two, episode 28, Hawk Girl agrees to meet with Carter Hall, an archaeologist who has discovered Thanagarian artifacts from ancient Egypt. Batman points out to her 
that he has been stalking her and the league for some time. However, she is attracted to him and she decides to go out with him nonetheless. With a suspicious Batman eavesdropping, Carter reveals himself to a confused hawk girl as her reincarnated lover from the past and <laughs> and that he was Hawkman. Because uh, they didn't... Sorry. They, they, they didn't do... Because there was the whole flip where the Thanagarians invaded. Yeah, and that that's was like Hawker was disgraced. They didn't call anybody Carter in that, did they? Or did no, they? Oh, there was no Carter Hall. There was there was a right. Hawkman type guy who was but from they didn't name him. and and he was her previous lover, and yeah. it ended up he was a you know bad guy, and that they were all bad, and they were invading, and then she was like she left the team and uh, never wore her mask after that, and was just yeah. on it occasionally. But um, yeah, that was. Uh, that happened at some point. I don't remember when that was. I thought that was the end of season one, and and then I looked. No, that was the end of season two. Here. Season one ended with the um the Vandal Savage three parter. Oh yes, yeah, the World Savage War Two. So Savage time, right? So a really cool difference between because there's the two shows here. We're talking there's Justice League and League then and Justice League Unlimited. And it became Justice right. League Unlimited. So Justice League Unlimited was like um, everybody. <laughs> like millions of characters, of so many freaking like nobody care like these these d level yeah. characters a lot of times they would have no lines but like the fact that buana beast yeah got an episode got an episode like he got a couple lines like that character is in like there's do, do you know these books i don't remember who puts them out they're like the uh regrettable superheroes and regrettable supervillains of the past Oh, really? No, I haven't heard of that. They're great. They're great books, and it's just it's just like a it's like regrettable, forgotten superheroes of the past. And then there's a supervillains one, and they just spotlight these random characters that history has completely forgotten. Yeah, and they actually have uh, this guy does you know a decent amount of uh, research, and he has pictures whenever he can, and he gives you the publication history, and it's really really fun. And uh, the <laughs> freaking Buana Beast is in that. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, Mofo was in an episode of Justice League Unlimited. I can't even believe it. Um, was he? Did he just cameo, or was he? Because I'm remembering. Am I thinking of Bo and Brave and the Bold? He was in it, and he actually died. It was like one of the few dark moments in Brave and the Bold. Oh my God, really? He was yeah. In the episode, I believe it was the episode that uh, uh, Wonder Woman got turned into a pig. Okay, yeah. So like this Cersei. was different, yeah. And I think that uh, they needed Buana Beast to come in because it was animals <laughs> speak to animals. Right. So uh, that was that was insane. But uh, yeah. yeah. But the other thing that sets the two shows apart was that for the most part, um, I think I think completely I say for the most part, I'm pretty sure every episode of the first two seasons, uh, the first three seasons of Justice League, all the episodes were two or three parters. Right, it was always it was always a two parter, and then um, it would like end on a three parter. Yeah, the season went on a three parter, and then there was that little like War World. No, the War World was that was two parters. Then there was something where they they did a couple of one off episodes, and then they War, started doing War more World and more of those. Uh, well, I'm looking at it now. So the the first initial episode arc. Uh, it's it called a three parter Origins, and that's a three parter. And then it goes to two, 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 all the way down. And the next three parter is the savage time. So that's the season finale. And right. then season two, it looks like it has only two parters. Um, yep. 
but there is oh there's a there is a single uh comfort and joy christmas one right okay so then there's a three-parter and that's star-crossed when they do the big thanagarian invasion right uh, we're talking about so and that's episode 50 51 52 so there's a good amount of episodes in this show yeah um really 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 good show and then it goes into justice league unlimited and we get more characters they get a new uh they get the the space needle base what do they call it the uh the watchtower watchtower um and they uh we we switched to just single episode format and And yet it had a much uh there were those were like single episodes with a really big through line of like the government trying to get them and um, right all that stuff going on and you had a lot of a lot less of the core team yeah so they would always mix like, it up maybe there's only two episodes that are going to star th- this core team member like maybe john stewart's only going to be in three episodes this whole season but in those episodes he gets to be very central and they're also going to bring in other stuff and one of my favorites is um hearts and minds which I believe was in the original Justice League show. I don't think it was unlimited. Hearts and Minds was like the biggest uh, Green Lantern episode. Yeah. Oh, well, they all came in. Right. And we got to see like um, Kilowog. We got to see Kat Matoy. And yeah. I love the Green Lantern Corps. They're my preferred uh, DC comic. You know, it's too bad we're not visual because um, part of those Justice League figures that they did, yep. they did a Green Lantern set. And I have it. Nice. <laughs> I got Kilowog, and who's the guy with the the chicken head? Um, can't remember his name. It, I got him. It, it, Tomar Ray. Yeah, I I got a bunch of them. Yeah, post so. it. Yeah. <laughs> post it to the group. Um, that, we'd love to see that for sure. I love I love those uh, I love those guys. I love I love the Green Lantern, and and they didn't really get a whole lot of play, and uh, and also like you know, the the thing that I loved so much about this episode was uh it addressed a big fan complaint which was that john stewart is the most boring green lantern ever on this show because all he does with his ring is fly and make balls (laughs) that's all he does anything he he needs to accomplish with that ring he just makes an orb around he just ball ball for you and a ball for you and all and everybody gets balls they forgot and, about the uh, constructs. There's no fun constructs. Like they like just just didn't do it. That's and at missed. some point, people started to complain about it and be like, like, well, guys, what? Like, it's fine that you did John Stewart instead of Hal. Cool. We get no problem there. Yeah. Make him interesting. What is yeah. the problem? <laughs> and so actually, the character Kat Matui actually calls him out on it. Yeah. She's like. You can make anything. You are unlimited, limited only by your imagination. Why do you only make balls? Yeah. And then he sort of thinks about it and starts to be more interesting with uh, with his constructs, which is really the fun of the Green Lantern characters. Yeah. And how they each have their own sets of types of things that they'll make. Um, I, I I love that about the the comics. They they over time yeah, really bulldozers and. Yeah, it's like well, full, full engines and stuff, and well, yeah, and, and he he well he was he had a military background. He was a right. uh, he was yeah. an architect. Yeah, I was so, an architect. Yeah, so sometimes he'll 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 make a, a construct and it'll actually look like blueprints. 
yeah. know, depending on who's drawing him, of course. But like, he, you know, he would uh, like Ethan Van Skyver would always do that. And anytime that um, anytime that he's making some big thing, it's like you can see you can see the way an architect would envision it with the beams and with everything. And then you have somebody like Kyle Rayner, who's a comic book artist. Right. He's so artist. he's coming up with like, you know, Japanese monsters and mechs and like, you know, swords and dragons and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, Hal generally has the cheese. He'll have big, big fist and a. Yeah, and I I liked it when they started working in like the jets stuff. They're like, he's a fighter pilot. Let's right. Let's you know do that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, one of my favorite moments in Justice League was the I don't remember which time travel one it was. I guess it was the one with the the, sort of the wimpy guy with the berating wife. But wherever it, it wherever it ends up, again bringing back the it's Batman meets like Bruce Wayne, like Bruce Wayne from Batman Beyond, Mm -hmm. and they have the the scarecrow no yeah it was a scarecrow and um to try and get information out of him and bruce wayne looks at batman and says i can't believe i was ever that green let me show you how to interrogate a prisoner <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then they cut and like uh, uh scarecrow is just spilling his guts <laughs> like you don't know what bruce wayne did but it was it was 10 times worse than what batman was gonna do it was, it was just such a great moment such a payoff uh, and I, I know there's uh, there's this episode. I'm looking at the uh, synopsis. It's called Epilogue. It was the season two finale for Justice League Unlimited, and uh, we get to see Batman Beyond. And he was in a previous. He was like season one finale of Justice League Unlimited. They did a time travel thing, and right, and he was in that That's for a second. And in this one, because Batman Beyond, the bummer is it never really got a proper finale. Yeah, and that what they said with this episode uh, was like. You know, Bruce Tim had said, I remember reading that uh, this was meant to, to serve as the finale for Batman Beyond. Right. And you you got to see Batman Beyond a little bit older. So he wasn't a teenager. He's now in his like late 20s or something. And um, and you learn that we, we get to uh, see an older Amanda Waller. Yeah. Amanda Waller admits that. He really is Bruce Wayne's kid. He's, 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 yeah, altered, he's like, altered his genes. Right, right. He's almost a clone, but not right. He's he, he's he's actually the son of Bruce, and she had intended for there to be another Batman, and it was all freaking Amanda Waller's big scheme. And it's like, oh my god, like what an awesome episode to do, just in general, just a send off. Yeah, just a great send off, just so great. And I love that Waller was involved, and uh, she was she was a good through line too for for this show yeah. i think she, she was in a decent amount she's she's an interesting adversary always i think because she's yeah. not pure good or bad she you don't know what she's gonna do she does her job yeah, <laughs> you know I, I kind of like the few times her and batman where you know they faced off and you didn't know who had the upper hand you, you always think it was batman but then it's like oh i don't you know who has the upper hand <laughs> yeah Oh, that's right. So I'm just reading this, this synopsis. So for that episode I was talking about, it's called Epilogue. And uh, the other amazing cameo is the Phantasm from Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, right. And, and so she had actually tasked an older version of that character. She had, the Phantasm character had grown older, but she was the one who killed Terry's parents. Yeah. I mean, that's just a retcon, of course, but what a, what a freaking awesome retcon that is. Yeah, pulling in the movies. Like, oh my God, because Phantasm never showed up in the shows ever. He was, mm-hmm. it was just that one movie that met Batman and the Mask of the Phantasm, which was the first movie that they did. And it was in theaters 
I never yeah. got to see it in theaters. I wish I had, but it was uh, it was like blink and you miss it. Um, but uh, love that movie still. So so good. But yeah, yeah. So that's uh, so Justice League Unlimited, awesome show. Superman, the animated series, my opinion, the most underrated of the bunch. Also awesome. Uh, so Paul, thank you mm-hmm. for coming on the show, man. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Didn't guys, think we talk this long. It's great. Yeah, I see. It, it happens. Time goes. Time keeps on slipping. So, guys, if you're going to look up the works of of our guest tonight, make sure you look up Paul R. McNamee. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you end up with this Australian tennis guy. Yeah, you heard the story. Excellent. Uh, well, I actually found out myself when I did uh, when I looked you yeah. up, and then I saw you post about it. Pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. him, there he was. If only he hadn't written a book. <laughs> Paul R. McNamee, uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your stuff? Okay. Um, uh, I'm at I'm on Twitter at p McNamee six six seven. Um, I'm on Amazon. If you do amazon.com slash author slash Paul R. McNamee. Um, I have a blog at paulmcnamee.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I am on Facebook. If you want to hit me up there, um, I'm a bit more personal there, but you know, um, it's okay. Uh, yeah, those are the, those are the highlights. Um, and we'll have all that stuff in the show notes. So guys, if, if you want to just scroll down, it's all there. Yep. Um, yeah. Nice. And uh, Hour of the Robot is on sale now. You can pick it up on Amazon right now. It is uh, available in paperback and for the Kindle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's available in a lot of e- ebook formats if you if you prefer other ones, um, it's Google play smashwords, uh, Barnes and Noble nook and what's it on Kobo. Boom. So um, got- I, I believe you probably want to stick with the, um, Amazon for the print. I know Barnes and Noble has listed it as print. I didn't know that was going to happen. And actually someone I know said they ordered it and then Barnes and Noble canceled. So, um, if you want the print, you probably want to stick with Amazon or, you can contact me through DM on Twitter and I could arrange to have you purchase a signed copy and I can mail it out to you. There you go. Um, and uh, just so you know, guys, when you do stuff like that, it's uh, it, it helps the author out too. It's always a better margin if we can sell you stuff directly. So you'd actually, mm-hmm. you know, be doing Paul a favor as well. And then you get yourself a signed copy. It's, it's all, it's a win-win. It's what they call Absolutely. it. So, uh, so do that guys. If you're interested, uh, in superheroes, sci-fi, pulpy goodness, uh, it's action a f- adventure, action adventure with space aliens and robots and, uh, thinly veiled Martian manhunters, <laughs> <that are, laughs> thinly veiled Kellex, uh, Kellexes, uh, all these Kellexes, uh, definitely check out hour of the robot. Paul, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, oh, thank you. Gotta get the word out. It's great. Absolutely. Uh, so that, that pretty much wraps up the episode. And if you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope you've enjoyed this week's journey over the treacherous waters of all the things that made growing up awesome. Um, because you know, this was an episode of the brig. (laughs) 
oh, you hear Slam. The, the sound effect was there this time because it's the end of the episode and I can find it. If you liked what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button and like us on Facebook and on Twitter, uh, as well as being full-fledged members of the Dorkening Retro Octopus is still part of the Nebriot nebri art podcast network so if you get a chance please check out any of our sister shows like the old colony cast bar talk and of course inebri art and uh go buy some go buy some deadly grounds coffee if you're a, if you're a fan of coffee and you like drinking it um by all means try deadly grounds because you know why it's 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 actually really good and i know i sound like i'm kidding but i'm not because it's actually really really good i love the witch's brew uh it's a chocolate raspberry flavor and Ooh, that sounds absolutely good delicious um truly very good coffee um they have a lot of fun flavors and they're all horror themed so um it's it's a really fun local company we love them we love that they support the show and we love supporting them so deadly grounds coffee please check them out i have been your host my name is parasite steve aka steve of destruction and it is indeed a sad thing that your adventures have ended here